This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andro. I believe a strong man makes a strong country. These are the words, more than that, the credo of Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro. After outperforming the polls earlier this month, denying former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva a first-round victory in the presidential election, the two candidates will now face off in a second and final round this Sunday in battle of right versus left, Some analysts consider this the most consequential election in Latin America for decades. My guest today is a senior fellow for Latin America at Chatham House, formerly a lecturer at Columbia University. He is here to explain the significance of the election, what to look out for, and what either result might mean. Welcome to The Bunker, Dr. Christopher Sabatini. Thank you, Alex. Chris, let's start with a brief look at Bolsonaro's presidency so far. He claims that... Brazil is safer and more welcoming today. Is that the case? That's certainly what he ran on originally. Uh, Four years ago, he was presenting himself as a candidate of security, uh, of being the sort of anti-corruption candidate, especially after the the raft of corruption allegations that had followed the previous government of of Lula and his successor, Dilma Rousseff. Uh, But that hasn't been the case. First of all, his family's been caught up in a number of corruption scandals. He has three sons. All of them have been alleged engaged in serious crimes. Um, And Bolsonaro himself has has not entirely been been clean on this. Mm. And then in terms of security, crime uh, really hasn't improved at all. Uh, There's actually been more cases of violence, in this case committed mostly by the police themselves or working with paramilitaries. So uh, none of those things are true. He also tried to claim that he's going to improve the economy. And the economy's really been bumping along at a little under 2%. So um, not, not really successful in all those cases, but as it often happens with populists, what really matters isn't so much the results, but the perception, the sort mm-hmm. of the affinity that people have for him. And that's really what's driving Bolsonaro and really the whole phenomenon of Bolsonarismo. Yeah. I mean, 2% to put it in context, because it might sound uh, terrific to our uh, British listeners, but for an emerging economy, 2% is nothing, right? That's exactly right. It's, and it's really a failure. Especially when you consider how much contracted during covid um, and, and also, you know, it was accustomed to rates that almost approached at times, you know, four or five percent on average um, in the early aughts. Yeah. When Bolsonaro was first elected, he was widely described as a sort of proto-fascist who is a danger to democracy in Brazil and global stability at large. These warnings were over-egged, weren't they? Neither has Brazil slid into dictatorship nor has global stability been threatened. 
In some ways, the last four years uh, can be seen as a triumph of institutions. Mm. Uh, the, the Supreme Court's pushed back. The Electoral Court has pushed back. Um, they've continued, as I mentioned, to investigate his sons for cases of corruption. The Congress, while he's done a good job of, of managing it, um, he has worked within the system in that capacity. So in that sense, um, you know, the Brazilian institutions are strong. Democracy has survived. But it's done so despite mm, Bolsonaro. Mm. Uh, and and, and the, we're seeing, you know, particularly in the lower ranks of the military, they're very pro-Bolsonaro, which obviously is really threatening to break that, that dividing line between civilians and the military. From 1964 to 1985, Brazil had a military mm. dictatorship. Mm. And he's really trumpeted those, that is really the golden era yeah. of, of yeah, Brazil. Yeah. And so that, you know, but there's also the, the whole issue of uh, – uh, of the long-term damage he's doing to discourse. He's, he's misogynistic. He's homophobic. He's racist. He uses a very rough discourse uh, and, and has you know, really incited people to, to be much more racist, much more openly intolerant. And that's going to have a long-term cost. Not right now, but over the long term, I think he's really sort of open to Pandora's it's box. A, it's a Trumpification of the discourse. So yeah, that's exactly right. And it's not, not a coincidence that he calls himself the Trump of the tropics. Mm -hmm. uh, Steve Bannon, Trump's a, a strategic advisor, has been advising Bolsonaro. Um, Trump, Donald Trump Jr. has traveled to, to Brazil and participated in rallies. So yes, it's, it's very much cut from the same cloth. Mm. Now tell us a little bit about Lula. Who is he and, and why is his possible victory seen as one of the greatest political comebacks in history? Lula, first of all, is an interesting political phenomenon. He's a man who only has a fifth grade education. He was a sheet metal worker. Mm. And f during the dictatorship, founded the party, the Workers' Party, uh, based tied with unions. Is really very charismatic leader. He was elected originally uh, in 2002, he took office in 2003. Most people feared because he was of the left that he was going to renege on the debt, Brazil's sovereign debt, or nationalize. In fact, quite the opposite. He turned out to be much, very moderate, a real darling of the developing world. He built alliances with the global south. He represented, or his government represented countries of Africa and trade negotiations and represented their, their interests. Um, and he became, according to President Obama, former President Obama, the, the most popular president in the world. Um, by carving out this mm, sort of third mm. way. Um, but he got in, caught up in his own corruption scandals. In, during his time in power, there was discovered a very rich oil reserve off the coast of Rio de Janeiro. And the semi-state company Petrobras um, was sort of, if you will, sort of had the lion's share of those reserves. And it was alleged and proven in a, what's called the car wash scandal that Petrobras and infrastructure companies were openly bidding and corrupting and enjoying kickbacks that went to politicians for preferred treatment in those in those contracts. Mm. This $2 billion corruption scandal ensnared um, not so much Lula. And then he himself was uh, accused and found guilty of accepting favors from a couple of the infrastructure companies for an apartment that he had. So he actually served about a year and a half in jail for that. But that conviction was overturned when it looked like the prosecutor had been a little bit too crusading mm. and may mm. have been sharing information with the judges and others. So... Yes, he's associated with this horrible $2 billion corruption scandal. He himself got caught up in it. But now, as you say, it's an amazing comeback. The guy has come back from, the, from political death. Here's the bit I don't understand. Bolsonaro rode into power in a sort of wave of unpopularity for more conventional political figures and parties. So what is the logic of going back to a very conventional figure in a very... A sort of well-established party as a way out of Bolsonaro. 
It's a good point, Alex. Basically, it's it's a Hail Mary pass, to use a, mm. a U.S. football reference, mm. Mm. Um, to try to save Brazilian democracy, um, to try to wrest control of the government away from Bolsonaro. Lula is still really this iconic figure in Brazil. And in those days, as I mentioned, the, the two terms he served, the eight years, are seen as really the halcyon days yeah, yeah. of Brazilian growth. And so and, – and during that time, for example, 40 million people left poverty and joined the middle class. Um, so he's you – know, he, he really brought this sort of – general uplift to yeah. uh, socioeconomic conditions in Brazil. So they, they dug him out of <laughs> retirement and brought him back. But the idea is he's in many ways a figurehead. The campaign uh, has degraded significantly. Bolsonaro has released television adverts linking Lula to criminality because he got the most votes from prison inmates in the recent first round of voting. And that's been a big campaign. But allies of Lula also have released a video that claims Bolsonaro would eat human flesh based on a 2016 comment that he would be prepared to engage in cannibalism while visiting an indigenous tribe. I mean, whoever wins, has there, hasn't there been just significant damage now to Brazil's political discourse. Yeah, it, this, it, it's difficult, perhaps even impossible to overemphasize how polarized this election is. Just to give you an example, Alex, when they uh, first announced their candidacies, both, both candidates, uh, Bolsonaro said that Lula was the devil. And Lula said that Bolsonaro was possessed by the devil because he had ignored all the warning signs of COVID. So both both of them are trying to paint the other as a devil. And then, of course, the cannibalism allegations. And the, the problem is, is that this really does pit two sides of a deeply divided Brazil against one another. According to recent polls, 70 percent of Brazilians fear violence because of their political views. And that's mm. on both sides. Um, but it also what it does is it obscures real legitimate uh, issues recovering, if you will, economic growth to a meaningful level. The economy may grow about 1% next year. Many of those people, those 40 million people that that rose out of poverty have slipped back into poverty. How do you sort of basically restore social mobility uh, in Brazil? And then there's the Amazon, the environment mm. conditions within Brazil. Uh, Bolsonaro has given either direct license to or indirect license to illegal miners, illegal loggers, um, cattle ranchers to basically denude the Amazon force. These are real issues, but they're being completely obscured by the silliness around uh, the election. So the polling, aggregate polls, the last ones I saw today have Lula leading by that cursed ratio, 52 to 48. Yeah. Um, but the same polls did underestimate support for Bolsonaro in the first round. And I mean, Statistical errors aside, it's neck and neck, really. I mean, I know it's a massive hostage to fortune, but I also know that everyone has a feeling in their waters about <laughs> about a, a, an election so close to their heart. So what's yours? Well, I'm going to hedge my bet, but but first say, I mean, you mentioned how the, wrong the polls got it first time around. They had Lula up by 14%. Mm. So now if you say it's about 4%, I mean, even if they have adjusted their polling to overcount what they think are uh, or weighted for Bolsonaro supporters, 4 percent is way too close for comfort if you're Lula. If I were to predict, I think it's going to be a very close election. I think Lula may still win. Mm. Um, but I think most people were hoping in the first round that Lula would win the first round with a real thumping margin. Yeah. And it would avoid any charges that Bolsonaro has been trying to yeah, sort of yeah. stoke of, of the election theft. Having said that, and again, I'm hedging my bets here, it is entirely possible that Bolsonaro wins. A 4% margin, given the the complete misfiring of the polls 
before in October 2nd, um, a 14 percent, it's it, he's, yeah. he's well above the margin I mean, of error. It's also, it's also possible that they've over-adjusted and are now That's getting true. it wrong the, the opposite way. Because when you see the breakdown of the polls, you see that the voters of uh, candidates that have dropped out from the first round are breaking quite heavily for Lula. Yes. And, and so there's something in the math that doesn't quite add, and it will be very interesting. A common refrain for populists is that they represent sort of real working people, while it's the more affluent urban elites who sustain the establishment. But in Brazil's case, in Bolsonaro's case, that is actually true, isn't it? Bolsonaro's ride to to the presidency, to Planalto, was, was the presidential palace, was largely just sort of stoking this anger. Uh, and, and he did represent, if you will, a certain element of the working class. Um, but if you look at the way the, the, the election results most recently, Lula won uh, in the Northeast in particular, Quite solidly, which is far poorer in in Brazil, right? And 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 Bolsonaro did better in the more um, in the more elite, uh, richer areas in the south and southwest. And the southwest is interesting because there you have really Brazil sort of cowboy culture, uh, and that's very much what what uh, Bolsonaro was trying to appeal to this frontier mentality. Mm, mm, mm. There's a saying that they to describe the coalition that that Bolsonaro built. It's it's Bible beef and bullets. Bible because it's largely yeah. evangelicals, yeah. beef because it's cattle farmers or farmers generally, soybean farmers and the like, and bullets because he's very closely tied to the the, uh, the gun lobby. He's loosened gun restrictions. And in that time, in the last four years, more than two million people in Brazil have guns that didn't have them before. Yes, apparently over a dozen presidential decrees, not even legislation, relaxing regulation of private gun ownership, which is really exploding in Brazil. Before we get to that, why is it so close, do you think? Bolsonaro's handling of the pandemic is widely considered to have been disastrous. Why is he still so popular? It is, I think, the question, if you will, of our time. And why was Trump so popular? Why did he he lose the election so closely? And, and I will emphasize, he did lose the election. You know, why is Bolsonaro? I think, I think people simply are voting their hearts. People who feel culturally disenfranchised. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's very much campaigned like the Republicans in the United States or even like Putin in Russia on this anti-wokeism, mm. this idea of, you know, he's anti-transgender, he's, he's homophobic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's captured this sense of people feeling that progressive rights have gone too far, that there's sort of an elitist, you know, urban um, uh, agenda pushed on them. And he's really captured that. And and, and this is very much a, a playbook of many populists is they're framing this not as an economic issue, even a life issue when it comes to COVID. They're framing this as a battle of cultural um, styles. Mm -hmm. It's not coincidental, by the way, that you know, he is, has the overwhelming support of evangelicals. And many of the evangelical uh, ministers of these large megachurches um, are openly campaigning for him. Uh, but on the flip side... He is winning with younger people while, while Lula is very popular with the sort of over 60, over 65s. And, and that doesn't quite tally with what as we as Western democracies have in our head about, you know, conservatism versus um, left 
uh, politics, right? That's a good point. I, I, is for a point of comparison, I, you know, look at the the Swedish Democrats in Sweden that recently won. Um, there too, it was a heavily yeah. youth skewed vote. So I think yes, we, we sort of associate populism be tied with you know angry older people, mm. but right. Um, in this case, I think what he's doing is he's sort of also captured, you know, and again, we assume younger people are going to be more progressive socially, and I think they're they're not. But also, what he's doing is he's he's tapping into people's fear about the future, their lack of confidence in their economic future. Many of those people had not experienced the boom years of Lula. Now, maybe those were a fiction, maybe they were ephemeral, but um, a lot of the younger people that are voting for Bolsonaro didn't experience that. And to them, Lula, who is 76 years old, he's, he's no yeah, spring yeah. chicken, he just represents the old generation. And that's, that's to my mind, is one of the chronic problems right now of, of this election and the way it's being presented. You've got two old white men there's a real segment of the population that's not being represented in these elections, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You wrote that there is even the danger of a coup. To quote you, even if an attempted coup doesn't materialize, the country could still be left with millions of hardcore Bolsonaro supporters who no longer have faith in the democratic process. What are the signs that a coup might be something Bolsonaro is considering? Well, first, Alex... a coup in a sort of a more modern sense. I think we've, for now at least, the, the traditional notion of a coup of, of army officers, you know, goose-stepping their way to the presidential yeah. palace and seizing and, you know, the president putting him on a plane or her on a plane, that's gone. Military takeovers are far more um, uh, slow and far more insidious mm-hmm. today. Uh, first of all, Bolsonaro has, has more military officers in his government than the military did when they were in government. So <laughs> it's already been quite militarized. That's quite yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, in some ways, there's already been this sort of this breach in the military-civilian yeah, yeah. divide. Yeah. Um, so what I would look to happen, and this, there's some people who think this is, could happen um, very easily, is that if, if the election's close— uh, what Bolsonaro supporters are prepared to do is stage a series of protests state by state. Now, the military high brass supposedly is not uniformly in favor of Bolsonaro, but lower level officers are and it's cons- um, conscripted officers are as well, mm-hmm. especially in the state military places. And so what people are really fearing is that protests could erupt in a close election. The police, the military police in the states sort of stage a strike and refuse to put down the protest, and then a state of siege is declared. And that opens up. So sort of paralysis. Exactly. Probably accompanied with legal challenges with very friendly judges um, that seek to massage the result into something else. Exactly. And that plays into, again, that that idea of Bolsonaro as a savior of security. And then he can swoop in and say, well, see, you know, again, this is a, a problem that I need to, mm. to, to resolve. Mm. So that would be what I'd be looking for, especially in the first few days um, after Sunday's election. Mm. I, I just want to draw back to a slightly wider focus. Bolsonaro's policies on deforestation, they have meant that Global leaders get increasingly involved in Brazilian politics, causing Bolsonaro to claim that they treat his country as a sort of imperial protectorate. He has a point, doesn't he? 
He does. Uh, and to be honest, uh, you know, he, he I mean, raises there is a defensive... hypocrisy yes. in saying we have fully developed our countries to the total detriment of our natural resources. So now it's up to you to stay less developed so that we have oxygen. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, it's easy to say because they haven't developed their, their Western frontier, basically. Mm. The problem here is, is the way in which, first of all, the West often frames it. For Brazilians, the Amazon is really sort of their crown jewel. That yeah. is, they're very proud of it. They see it. They, they really are, are educated and believe that much of the world covets the Amazon. And, mm. and when people like Macron, when he criticized deforestation, that sort of plays into that, that paranoia and that Bolsonaro very much is, is sort of tapping into, framing it to Brazilians as an issue of why should the Western world, the developed North, tell us how we can develop our own resources? This is our natural resource. I'm not saying I agree with him, but there's um, th that has a real great deal yeah. of resonance uh, in Brazil. And again, it goes to that idea that you know, he is doing battle against sort of the, the woke progressive coalition that wants to hold Brazilians back. You recently also wrote that the balance of the USA's hegemony over Central and South America has changed significantly. Washington is increasingly dependent on its smaller neighbors to the south. Does the result on Sunday affect this balance either way? Do I mean, is Lula likely to be a more cooperative partner to the states? The truth is, is Brazil, I think, has carved out a more independent role uh, even since Lula. Mm. Uh, it, it's always sought to be in the region, a, a, a regional leader and a global leader. But having said that, I do think the U.S.'s ability to influence uh, and shape the relationship with Brazil has declined precipitously. In part, this has now become a partisan issue. As, as Bolsonaro defines himself as a Trump of the tropics, uh, he was the last, by the way, one of the last international leaders to recognize the uh, win of President, U.S. President Joe Biden. If he were to win or if he were to contest elections, the truth is the White House's ability to sort of try to carve some sort of international response mm. is going to be very limited. And by the same token, Lula and his former foreign ministers and the like is, I think, going to try to um, present a more favorable face to the U.S., but will also try to carve its own um, independent foreign policy. And just briefly, what about the war in Ukraine? Brazil under Bolsonaro uh, has been one of the last few holdouts in applying sanctions. Would Lula change that calculus at all? Has he said anything? Has he made any noises? He really hasn't. His former foreign minister, Celso Amorim, uh, originally, before uh, uh, Bolsonaro embraced Putin a little too excessively, said, mm. well, you know, Brazil should be trying to negotiate and trying to play a role. What I suspect is is I don't think a Lula government in its foreign policy would would be as neutral as Bolsonaro. Uh, Bolsonaro, again, just like Trump, has a certain affinity with Putin. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are issues of trade on, on, on uh, agriculture and energy. Uh, but I think Lula would try to play more of a brokering role. Uh, he, you know, he and his team of foreign policy advisors uh, pride themselves on being multilateralists, institutionalists, and internationalists. Mm -hmm. But I think they'd be much so more critical. So nudges in the right direction exactly. all over the place. Basically. Exactly. Um, Okay, finally, let us lift our gaze and look at a best-case scenario. Let's say that Lula does win convincingly and there is a smooth transition of power. Does the left appear to have learned the lessons of the last couple of decades in its proposed program? 
I, I think it has. I think, first of all, it got badly stung by, by all of these corruption allegations or convictions. Uh, I think it's going to hew much more closely to a transparent government. Um, I think you're seeing a much more pragmatic left. Um, I think you'll see a much more uh, centrist uh, style of governing. Um, and the truth is, you know, Lula himself, he's a trade union leader. He loves to negotiate. That's He loves to broker different deals yeah, and so yeah. on. So I think that's going to come out in this way too that I, I would like to believe, and, and, I, and I appreciate your attempted optimism here, that this will be a much more internationalist, engaged government. It will be much more um, consensus-oriented. Uh, you won't see that sort of stridency of a Bolsonaro or even the stridency of an early Lula. Yeah. Um, and I would hope this would sort of open this up and sort of over the long term begin to tone down this polarization between a hard right and and not maybe not as hard a left as, as Bolsonaro wants to present it, but a less partisan left that could begin to sort of create a pathway for more moderation in, in Brazilian politics. Dr. Christopher Sabatini, thank you for your time and for your insight. Thank you, Alex. Remember, there's a new bunker every day. So don't forget to subscribe, review and rate us. And if you want more brilliant analysis like this, you can support us on the funding platform Patreon from as little as £3 a month. Just search for Bunker Podcast Patreon. You will get every podcast early and with no ads. I leave you by summarising the thesis of Ruth ben Geert from her definitive book, Strongmen. The ideal hotbed for totalitarian rule is not the convinced fascist ideologue, but people for whom the reality of experience and the standard of thought has degraded. The strongman's target is the person to whom the distinction between fact and fiction, between true and false, no longer exists. This is Alexandreou in the bunker saying over and out. The Bunker was presented by Alex Andreu. Audio production is from me, Robin Lieburn, and the producers are Yelena Sofronevich and Jacob Archibald, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor is Andrew Harrison, and our theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.